Hey mama, are you struggling to find time for everything that matters to you? Maybe you're working or running a business or volunteering or trying to follow another passion while still loving your family and you're struggling with it or you're not going after something that you really want for yourself because you don't think you have time. I get it. I was there and I found a path out that I've shared with clients over the years. So I've created a free video for you to watch to give you that first step to kickstart you into finding time for what matters most to you and to be able to do it without the guilt and the stress. So just pop on over to sandyfowler.com backslash find dash time and you can grab that free video and that will get you moving in the direction that you want to go. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, a podcast with real, raw, and relevant talk about raising teens and parenting young adults. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, a community where we help you raise teens and parent 20-somethings so they can become happy, successful, and emotionally healthy adults. I'm Sandy Fowler, a stress relief coach, emotional wellness speaker, and host of the Mighty Parenting podcast, with just a quick reminder to pop over to mightyparenting.com and grab your free email series on how to talk to your teen. With a Valentine's Day around the corner, we're going to be taking a look at love. We spend a lot of our time here at Mighty Parenting looking at how we can help our teens grow up and become emotionally healthy adults who are happy with their lives. Well, one of the things that helps them to be happy is understanding how to have a healthy romantic relationship. That means, parents, that we need to model it for them. Married or single, having a healthy romantic relationship ourselves is the best thing we can do to give our kids a leg up. Shedding some light on this for us is Linda Carroll. Linda is a therapist and couples counselor. She is the author of the books Love Skills and Love Cycles, and she's going to be helping us today get a handle on love. Linda, welcome to Mighty Parenting. Hi. Hi, Sandy. I'm so happy to be here. I am too. We're you know just chatting very briefly beforehand, and I am loving your book. It's just like a user's manual for having a healthy relationship, no matter where you're at, which was one of the things I appreciated because, you know, as a group, Mighty Parents, we're all over the map. We have people who are single. My husband and I have been married almost 30 years, and, you know, I'm sure we have people who've been married longer and less. We have people who are divorced, people who are in new relationships, and you cover everything. Oh, good. I do. I try to. And I think it's all predictable. And I, and I hear from people all the time how one of the things they love about my books is that it normalizes imperfection because so much of what we see around us is perfection. And I, mean, I just had a, a couple this morning I was working with whose kids, I've been working with them for years, but they're in such a great place. And they were ready to split up about three times. And they said, nobody told us it would be so hard to have teens. But the teens are gone. They're off to college. They're doing great. I mean, they're doing as great as anyone can right now. But they said, but then they said, we found each other again. This is so good. But I think that finding out how normal trouble is, and especially in the times we're living, is such a relief to people so that we don't compare ourselves to the perfect cultural ideals that we see in social media, but to the real humans that we are. 
Yeah, social media, TV, everything out there, the expectations that are set, they aren't reality, right? I can't remember the exact quote. You had quoted somebody else in your book and I busted out laughing, but it's so true. I had to tell my husband about it and he's like, yep. And it was something to the effect that um, marriage isn't this huge romantic thing. Marriage is like marriage is running a small, mundane, often boring nonprofit business. Isn't that great? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I know, you know, I've joked with my friends and my husband and I tell him, I'm like, yeah, you know, us girls get together and talk and we talk about it. And we decided that, you know, really we should all have, instead of houses, we should either have pods. So like you can have your pod, I can have my pod. We can have the pod where we can all meet up together. Teens can have, you know, everyone gets their own pod. And then like there's the family pod, right? Or we talk about it and say the women are like, well, we'll have a house for the girls. We'll have a house for the guys. Yeah. Right. That's, and we've never needed that more now that we're all in one pod stuck together. Oh my gosh. Yes. So, you know, that brings up things, but it actually takes me back to, I think one of my favorite points that you made in your book. And and that's saying something because there are so many. Oh, thank you. you. Well, you talk about it and you said love is an inside job. And I feel like that's where we really need to start this conversation. So would you explain what you mean by that? Yeah, I will. You know, I've been a a couples therapist and a coach and all kinds of things, working with couples for about 40 years. And when I started, so much of what we did with couples was try to get them to, you know, convince each other or figure out who was right about their current trouble or like, or, or do, a, or do some kind of negotiation. If you do this, I do this, but really what's changed. And I think that as we have moved into a, a, an era where the word of mindfulness is something that I think just about everybody understands that, that, that there's a real different understanding, which is that it all has to start inside of me. And I am not able to make you see or do anything. What I can do is I can do my best. I can do my best at at being as as kind and clear and and, um, generous and firm when I need to be as possible. But I am not, whatever I do may or may not influence my partner. And then I have to decide what to do with that. But the, I, but, but the other thing about the inside job is that the second book I wrote, Love Skills, is a kind of a manual, although it's also got a lot of self, very embarrassing self-revelations about my own marriage in here, um, but, and, and a lot of stories. So one of the things I say in the Love Skills manual at the beginning, and I say it in different ways throughout, is that some, some people love self-help. They love to listen to podcasts. They love to read the kind of book I wrote. They love to do exercises. And some people can't stand them. They'll run the other way. And often they're together. Often they're with each other. So one of the things, so what I start out by saying is don't make this book another power struggle. Every, this book is written so that one person can go through it and work on the skills themselves. And that without getting their partner, enlisting their partner 
begging or pleading that their partner join them in reading the book. If you've got a partner who's willing, that's great. But even if you don't, you can learn these skills and it will change all of your relationships. Now, whether that's going to reform your partner, if there's somebody who doesn't listen and you learn to really listen, whether that will give them kind of the juice and they'll think, oh gosh, she's listening in a new way. I better do it. I don't know, but we're not in charge of that. I can only become the best I can be. I can't make you be the best you can be. And so that when I say love is an inside job, it means that the changes have to come from within me. And they have to come from a place of in some ways letting go of outcome. Because if I'm making changes so that you will make changes, it's not going to work. It, because it, it ha then, then there's a twist in it. It's, it's got to just be that I want to be the best partner I can be or the best parent. And even if I am the best parent that I can be, it doesn't ensure that my kids are, are going to do things the way that I think they should or want them to do. Well, and you brought up a point. I, I do want to discuss this in terms of, of marriage and dating and our romantic relationships in our life. But that was one of the things that I saw too, was these skills will help us in parenting as well. These are not, these are not skills that you are teaching that only apply in one relationship in our life. That's right. That, oh, it's for everything, for all, for all in, in the classes that I do, you know, people say, often come back and say, this has changed all my relationships at work, really learning those skills of the, what I call the five pause skills. They change everything. Even, even talking to the UPS person, you know, is that we have it. If we, ha if we learn how to have presence with another person, it, it changes everything. In some ways are surprising and in some ways are disappointing, in some ways are sort of an amazing payoff. We can't decide, we can't tell how other people will respond, but we will feel good inside of ourselves in the terms of the ways that we are practicing these skills. Well, that goes back to this idea of it's an inside job. It's not picking up this book and learning how to impact somebody else. It's picking up this book and learning how to impact yourself, who you are, what you really want, how you, how you come um, into relationship with people, how you show up in the world. It's not about the other person. It's about us. And I also wanted to say, I know you commented about embarrassing stories. One, I didn't find them embarrassing, probably because those are the same stories that in, in slightly different ways that we experience and that we see and that we hear from other people. I think um, a lot of, there's a lot of value in knowing we're not alone. And yes. anyone who's listening has certainly had some kind of relationship problem in their life. And just when you feel alone, when you feel shame around something that's happened, that stops you from from growing and that stops you from getting the relationship you want. It stops you from doing things like learning new skills to have a better relationship. That's right. I, I agree totally with what you're saying. Well, along that line, I, we cannot possibly cover everything I want to cover. So I want to pick a couple of, there were a couple of things that I picked that 
um, really do want to make sure we touch on. And two of them are about just literally the words we use. And you talked about the power of three little words. Tell me more. So would you tell us more about using those words? Okay, so let's say my teen comes home and um, she comes in and she throws down her bag and she says, I've had the worst day ever at school. I hate my teacher and I have no friends. So my proclivity would be, and I'm a therapist, my proclivity would be to say, oh, honey, you have a lot of friends. What about, what about you know, uh, Mandy? She was here last night and some days are bad. Or, or, or in some way to take the conversation and move it in my direction. That's not going to help her. It's not going to help her feel heard or seen. But if I say to her, if I stop what I'm doing and I look at her and I say, tell me more about your day, honey. What happened? All of a sudden, she's not alone in it. She's not being led off of what she's feeling into where I think she should go. But I'm there right with her. And that is the most, that, that helped. I remember when my youngest son was, um, was seven. I, I learned this then, but I didn't know what it was. And he hated school. And he'd come in every day and he'd complain about how his best friend wasn't in his class and his, he had the worst teacher in the school. And every day I tried to point out why that wasn't true. And I actually took a class. This was, I mean, he's 44 tomorrow, 43. But I took a class in those days it was called, um, um, it was, they were called parenting classes and it was a whole class, it was about how to listen. And I, and I came home from that class that day and he came in and he did the whole thing, threw down his bag, said, you know, I hate my teacher, I, I, and I don't, and I, it's not fair. And I turned to him and I said, tell me more about that. It sounds really hard to be in first grade and to have it be so horrible. Tell me about it, honey. Do you know what he did? This is true. I'll never forget it. He looked at me and then he shrugged his shoulders. He said, mom, it's not that bad. And then he (laughs) left and he never did it again. And it took me decades to really figure out what had happened. But now I remember that, that experience of really listening and, and I, and saying, tell me more essentially, which is what I did. Sometimes what we just need to feel is that we're not alone in it. And when somebody joins us and says, I just want to hear what it's like for you without advising and, and um, explaining or giving answers, they're able to get their own answers in just feeling held. So tell me more is a great way to really create presence with people you love. And I love that. And I can see that helping. I can also see, so in our romantic partner, maybe we've worked all day or we've been dealing with the kids in the house all day. Everybody's had to deal with the kids and it's late and, you know, I'm tired. I just want to relax or I want to go to sleep. And they start with the, what to me sounds like complaining or ranting. Yeah. Yeah. But it sounds like that's exactly the moment that I need to set aside the expectation I had for that moment and put everything down and at that moment use these words. I think that's true. And I think that one of the things that right now what's going on is that there's so much that's hard and that watching our kids suffer 
and there they are and there are many and there is suffering going on especially with kids that are at the age where they need to be with their peers and they're not is we want them not to so what we want to do is we want to explain to them why it's okay or why this is an opportunity and to stop and to say this if when you're when your kid is saying you know this is really horrible to say it really is this is a really hard time honey it is really hard and what happens is they're now no longer alone in it and if you can do that even when you're tired to say i know it's a hard day and i wish it could be different and it is hard you know one of the great lessons about about our kids need to learn really is um and i don't say this in any righteous way but is that there are is that they that we can all do hard things but i don't would never preach that in a moral way but but trying to make it not so hard is doing them a disservice because it's not honoring their feelings and it's not honoring it, it's also not honoring that we are resilient creatures i remember when i had my first heartbreak when i was 13 pat door oh my god i thought i'd die and I, everybody minimized it and laughed and said you'll get over it first love and i remember that my parents had a friend over one night and and asked me how i was so i told them i had just my life was over this boyfriend had broken up with me and i remember that this friend said to me there is nothing more painful than first love and when that happens honey it your heart does break and when he said that to me guess what happened I felt relief. I felt lighter. All of a sudden, it was, I, it was sort of a variation of what my son said. It wasn't quite, but I just I remember saying to him, "Thank you. You really understand." He said, "Of course I do." And I remember feeling so light by that. So it's this is just not just tell me more, but tell me more means I'm listening to you. To you, not what I think you should be saying or feeling, but I'm listening to you. and that ties into something else you were talking about the example of someone complaining about the situation and we tend to chime in to be supportive we want to say oh but there's a silver lining oh this is better you talk in the book about instead of saying but to say and yes Yes, and is so important because it allows two things to be true. It allows, you know, things are are really hard right now. I mean, we're living in the pretty crazy time in the world, and some some remarkable acts of courage are showing up. And it's kind of scary to not know what's going to happen next. And there's also in history people go through times like this and they change and they change again. and today was really a hard day and my dahlias have never been more beautiful and what we do is we do we do in uh we do but you know it my dahlias have never been so beautiful but this is a really hard time in the world and i don't know what's going to happen and i'm scared and it it gets rid of dahlias my husband was so sweet today he made me breakfast he brought me a latte when i had to work over lunch and and we're both feeling kind of on edge and not really communicating well today because we're just so edgy and i'm grateful for that latte and his kindness and i think i just need space see all of those things are true and they can all live together but when we put but it's like somebody saying to you i 
you know, if someone says, Sandy, I loved your program, but what happens? It's like, uh-oh, now the truth is going to come. But if someone says, I love your program, but I wish you'd had longer to interview that person. That's different than I loved your program and I wish you'd had longer. But cancels out the first thing and allows all things to be true, which they are. It's so funny. As I was listening to you talking and just kind of going inside, I can feel the difference between the two statements, the and statements, but statements. Really? Yeah. There, there is that, like you said, that canceling out. There is only the negative that's left when we say but yeah. and allows us to have more, to have, to acknowledge as you said, we need to hear that there's something unpleasant, unhappy, or something we don't want to hear. Like, uh, you know, I I don't want to spend Fourth of July with your family. Yes, it's you know something that my spouse isn't necessarily going to want to hear. Right. When I when I combine that, well, you did the same types of examples in the book. I love you, but. I don't, I, I love you or your family is great, but I don't want to go there. Yes. That all just sounds bad. When, when you do the, and I, I can actually feel and hear that, oh, these are two things. And it, and it's almost leads it into a opening up a conversation. If it's, if it's something that you need to have a conversation about, like, I love your family. I enjoy seeing them. And I really want to spend Christmas just the four of us. That's right. It opens. Boy, it's so different. Yeah. It will. And it also, in my mind, it opens it up for then communication around that. It's not just this negative statement. It's saying, I, I do. I enjoy your family. And I want the four of us. So there's space for him to come back and say, I hear you. I, I like spending time with the four of us too. And I don't know, you know, my parents are getting older or they would be alone. I'm, and I'm not comfortable leaving that way. It, it opens up some room yes. for more possibilities and to have the back and forth conversation. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So I think, and so, and it, and it, and it, allow, and it also allows us to be able to have more than one feeling at the same time, because I think we do have more than one feeling so often. And we think it's like, we have to choose, you know, um, you know, it's like, so people, a lot of people now are walking around trying to create a practice of gratitude, which means that they don't give themselves room for the hard things that are going on. And I think we need to be able to feel mindfulness is allowing all feelings to be there. You know, I, one of the, one of the things I, I said recently on a podcast and I, and I got some flack for it at the moment. And then I got all these letters saying, thank you. I said, good marriages have bad problems. The best marriages I know has impossibilities within them. And it's just life. And I think if we say we have a great marriage, but we have some problems, it sort of cancels out the great marriage. And I think I have a really good marriage and there's some things that are impossible between us that in 40 years have never gotten better. And there's so much that's good that we tolerate it. And they're still as annoying now as they were 40 years ago. Now, that's a, that feels like a truce, a truce 
rather than, oh, there's a lot of things that are great in this marriage, but there are some real problems that haven't gotten better. That gives a whole different feeling, doesn't it? It does. And that was another thing that I appreciated in your book is that you just flat out acknowledged that there are issues that just never go away. It's not that the two people in a marriage come together and the issues are gone or you figure out how to solve every issue, but the idea that you don't necessarily solve it, you learn to acknowledge and accept the other person's differences from you and you live with it. Yes, that's right. And sometimes you live happily and sometimes you live with annoyance. And that, and that's also true. It's like we don't we don't come to acceptance and then it's all wonderful. I'm still I still I mean this is really this is a sad thing. This is my whole book has the stages with the the biggest fight and it sounds funny, but it isn't is how we do dishes. And it's been, and we have had made some hard moves about dishes, the way we do them is different, but it, it is part of a whole other thing. And I, you know, I'm still as annoyed as I always was, but we've worked out ways now that we do, that we don't fight about it, that we just let the other who cooks does the dishes and the person who doesn't do the dishes just stays out of it. And they don't have to point out the next day how much, how they did it, the other person did it wrong. You know, I think that we just, we learn, I think that there, because there's so much that's, that's, that's good and wonderful in, in my relationship, but there's also those things that are hard. And I think it's good to show kids that too, that, you know, in the olden days, when I, I remember when I first started being a therapist, which was 40 years ago, I would get people and it became a syndrome. I would notice it after a while who said, my parents never fought. And now I'm in a relationship and there's a lot that's good, but we really argue about things. And I know something's wrong because I never saw my parents argue. And I think that it is really healthy for kids to know, yeah, your dad and I have some problems and we choose to stay in it and to work on them because what we have is so much better than what we don't have. But those problems are real. I think that that really helps kids get a real sense of, my favorite line from my book is love is a feeling and a relationship, a loving or a, a relationship, a healthy one is a skill set. Love is a feeling. Loving is a skill that you practice whatever you're feeling. Yeah. And it's about that acceptance that you talk about. So going back to your dish story, you, you shared that and it was a great example of what you were showing us in the book. The part of the difference was, like you said, you know, one person is doing dishes, the other one keeps out of it. You don't agree. You still don't agree, but you changed the actions that you take and you stopped trying to change the other person's mind. And I think that that's part of what happens, right? Is we're right. They're wrong. We're in that butt world. Only one person can be right. So I have to get you over to my way of thinking. Whereas when you move over to the other side, there's an and you can do, you can do your dishes your way and I can do my dishes my way. Now you stop, as you said, you, know, you stop showing him the flecks of food that are stuck on the dishes when they come out of the dishwasher. <laughs> and he stopped leaving you statistics about water waste and water that's usage, right. That's right. but that's the acceptance part of it. And that's where the difference comes in. Not that there's not still some kind of irritant, but even though it still bothers you the way he does the dishes, I 
I'm assuming, please tell me if I'm wrong, that it doesn't push all your buttons and trigger you the way it did before. It's just more of an annoyance. Yes, that's right. That's right. That's, unless I'm tired. Then our buttons are all sticking out all over the place. They're really all over the place. <laughs> like, I can't believe you didn't clean the dish first, you know. <laughs> so let's talk about these five stages. You had mentioned it. And I think this is really important for all of us to understand. And I know that we can't go into great detail, but one, the awareness that there are these five stages. And then the idea that we can move through them. Even if we find ourselves in one, there is a way to, to learn and to get the skills to move through it. And then also the reminder, which you alluded to already too, is even when we get to stage five and we're there in this you know, loving, committed relationship where we have learned skills and we found a way to do it, we still have dish issues, right? Like we right. can still pop back to another stage, but it doesn't last a long time. That's right. That's great. Yeah. So okay. let's go through those stages. Okay, quickly. Um, the number one, stage one, the merge, falling in love, which is, and we know now that that incredible, that incredible stage is mediated by hormones and chemicals and changes in the brain chemistry, endorphins, dopamine, and they're all aphrodisiacs, um, oxytocin, huge uh, downloads of oxytocin and the, and the chemicals of, and the brain chemicals of people who are in love which is that cuddle chemical, that touch chemical. And it's the initial sweeping romance stage where we want total togetherness. We feel like we found our other half and we feel giddy. We feel physical, butterflies in our stomach and we see the best. Stage two is when those chemicals wear off because they have diminishing returns, which means every time we fall in love, it's less and less. And we, go, it, we fall into what I call the power struggle or the loop. And in this stage, the magic starts to subside. And we wonder, hey, what's wrong? I really want to be with my friends tonight. I don't want to spend all the time together. It used to be so easy. And, and then we, maybe we think, have I chosen the wrong person? It's, it's real easy to look at people who's in the first stage, in this stage, and think, oh, we used to have that. Where did it go? But it's also a normal stage where the chemicals have worn off and now we're looking at each other sort of this is me and this is you and this is what we've got without the skills a lot of hard moves happen here if we know this is coming we can we can manage it so much better the third stage which is the opposite of stage one is also mediated by chemicals and this is the winter season of love the power struggles have become much more predominant and that then all and stuff we've we, the issues we've thrown under the rug have, are sticking out. Um, and we have the chemicals of stress, fight, flight, fold, and freeze. And we, where we, are, are, we move away very quickly from the other partner, or we get reactive, or we get defensive. And sometimes people can get locked in this stage for a long time. Stage one is where we think everything is right. Stage three is where we see all the things that are wrong and eventually you reach a breaking point. You, it hit, we hit what I call the wall. And at this point, the differences, the challenges, the negative loops we have become unbearable. So for some people, this is about leaving or staying. Am I, gonna, am I just gonna walk away? 
for some people you it's not about leaving the relationship but you leave emotionally and move into what i call parallel paths and you kind of give up on closeness and intimacy um, or sometimes people say how did this happen let's learn about it a lot of times people think they want out of the marriage but they really want out of the loops they want out of the pain and so my suggestion when i see people at this stage is let's do the work let's learn the skills and then see what you feel and so so that and 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 that is when we do the work which is all about wholeheartedness learning to become wholehearted and our ability to know that love is an inside job it's being able to accept imperfection in ourself in the world it's self-discovery and it also is wholeheartedness really is about knowing that the wholeness is about me you don't make me whole and you don't take wholeness away from me so we're really trying to figure out our part how to make myself clearer it doesn't mean we become a wimp it me it just means that we learn the difference between a boundary because we have to say no for our own sake and where it is that we can gift our partner by going to see their parents if it really means a lot to them and in in that place all kinds of other things come back like being able to laugh at yourself and sometimes juicy sex comes back because when you've claimed yourself you now have another way to be with your partner and that is not from this clingy mergy place but bringing a self that's whole and we can fall into all those other places again from wholeness but we know that we're in them we can fall into that mergy juicy wonderful place we can fall into the power struggle we can fall into the dark winter spaces like what what you know is have we done this dance is there more to it it's impossible but when we when we live in a place of wholeheartedness we really know this is just a season this isn't the whole deal and i think that's our life's work is to become more wholehearted in all the ways so do partners tend to run through these stages at the same times not always um and that's why love is an inside job you know it's it's not it's not uncommon for instance for um one person to be to be realizing that they've given away so much of themselves and what their job is really is to find out who that self is they've lost but it's not against their partner it's for them but often a partner feels like they've been abandoned or deserted i mean i've gone through this a lot in my marriage and we've been together almost 40 years and there's times when my husband is just sort of discovering he's now and he he was a veterinarian for years but he's a, a he's a watercolor artist now and he just doesn't want to mess around with me at all he just wants to be in his room painting and i think well what about us i miss you let's go talk he says no i'm learning this new technique it's so great let's 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 have dinner tomorrow night we'll go out and it's so we can you know we could we he's finding himself it's not against me it's for him we go through those times over and over um and i think understanding that our job on this earth is not to become a part of you it's to become the best i can be so we we're, we're in different stages at different times sometimes somebody feels like they're annoyed a lot of the time and their partner is still in that goopy stage you know everything's wonderful so no we're not the same person and we but it, but having a language 
to talk about the stages is really important. That is one of the most helpful things to be able to understand that, you know, oh, we're in a loop or, oh, you know, we're in a hard season right now. Reminds us we're not in the whole relationship. Well, and going full circle to the beginning of this conversation is where you've brought us right with this. It's an inside job. It's about me. And I think that oftentimes we do go into relationships looking for someone to, to make us whole, to make our life better, to, to fill a a gap, to fill in a hole or the, like I said, all the crazy, we talked about all the crazy ideas out there on the internet and TV or romance novels of this expectation of how you want someone else to be because you want them to make you feel a certain way. Yeah. Yes, that's right. That's right. Because you're wanting them to make you feel a certain way rather than getting yourself to feel a certain way. So I think that that, so yeah, the great questions. Well, I had one last one taking this kind of back to kids for a second. Let's say that you know, you're single and you're dating and you're in the merge. So you, you have this crazy cocktail of emotions and everything is perfect, but your kids are seeing your partner's flaws. Boy, this is really a great question. This is a whole conversation. <laughs> okay, well, we'll have to have you back to have that conversation. Can you give us a short help now? <laughs> it's very, very hard. And it's one of the things that we need to remember is that how I see my partner is not how you see my partner. And that is part of, is there more? I've just discovered the prince who's going to save me, who I've looked for all my life, who's the perfect person. And my kid says, I don't like him. So what do I say? Well, of course you like him. He's wonderful. He's going to take you camping. He's going to, you know, he's going to, he's the, he's going to be everything we, you ever wanted in a dad. He's going to be, he's my best friend. Don't you see how great he is? That is not going to go well. Here's the here's the here's the, the response. Tell me about it. And so I, I was thinking, I'm like, you're going to say, tell me more, aren't you? Tell me what it's like for you. I don't like him. I don't like him. I think he's mean. I don't like it, the way he hangs around, honey. That sounds like it's hard. You know, I we have two different feelings about it, and yours your feeling really matters to me, and he's important to me, and I'm going to keep seeing him, but I also and I also want you to know that I care about how you feel. So I'm not going to force him on you. I mean, when it, so it, we've got to pay attention to what our kids feel. And it's the worst mistake that many of us make. I made it because I married somebody when I had, had I was divorced and I married my husband years ago. My kids were really young, but I was walking around in this glowy place. Like, isn't this the greatest thing that's ever happened? And my kids were saying, it's not the greatest thing what's happened to our great life together. Suddenly there's this man here that you think is wonderful. I mean, I'm embarrassed when I think about it, but, um, and I wish I had been more compassionate to them. Now that was a lot of time ago. And, you know, it's, it's really, I mean, we're all a very good family. Um, I, I call his kids, my bonus kids now, and we've really, but that's taken decades. But at the beginning, I thought they should see him the way I saw him. And that was so unfair. So I think we need to really get that you're not me and my kids aren't me and I've got to make room for what they feel and think. 
when I also had the realization that there's the flip side of that too, right? Our teens are going to date, our 20-somethings are going to date, maybe get married. We need to remember that they're going to see their partner differently than we do. And we can take all these same things that you just taught us and told us and flip that around to be able to have conversation around that if there's a difficult conversation that we need to have. That's right. That's right. Boy, we covered a lot of ground, didn't we? Great questions. We did. So for anyone who wants more from you, where can they find you, Linda? At Linda A. Carroll, C-A-R-R-O-L-L.com. That's my website and I answer all my letters so um, they can get my books. Um, I write a lot of articles for Mind Body Green and I offer online classes. So give me a... um, Give me a, send me an email and I'll get right back to you. Okay. And we'll of course have that link in our show notes as we always do. And thank you so much, Linda, for being here today, for sharing your personal stories, even the embarrassing ones and all these (laughs) insights and giving us some help. Well, thank you. It's been great to be on your show. Thanks a lot, Sandy. And mighty parents, thank you for being here. If you enjoyed this podcast, if you've learned something, share it with another parent, help them on their parenting journey. Also, when you rate review on whatever podcast player you listen on or on the mightyparenting.com website, that also helps us to get out to other parents and help them on their parenting journey. Remember, you are a mighty parent. You're here. You got this. And I will see you next week.